Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm Eric DeVos with the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. Coming up on the podcast, WDMA's Mike O'Brien and Kevin McKenney will be discussing the outlook for the key industry policy issues in Washington and how the rest of the year may play out despite the ongoing impeachment inquiry. And a little later, Mike will be talking with Michelle Nissen of Amesbury Truth about some of the trends in the hardware industry and her perspective on the state of the window and door industry. As a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at wdma.com forward slash WDMA Open and Close. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Mike O'Brien with WDMA, and I'm joined by Kevin McKenney, who's our Director of Government Affairs, and we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect in Washington the rest of this year, given everything that's going on. I think there's a lot of questions about what can reasonably be done with all of the other drama happening in D.C., but there are opportunities for industry issues, and we're going to talk about some of those right now. So, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's start with regulatory issues. The pressing issue these days in D.C. is trade and tariff policy. So let's talk about trade in general. It's been a while since the president signed the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, and Congress needs to approve it before it can replace NAFTA. So what can you tell us about the status of the new NAFTA USMCA? So it has been a while. President Trump signed the agreement about a year ago. It was last November when all three countries signed it. It's been sitting in Congress for the last year. Uh, The committees that have jurisdiction over this have been doing some work behind the scenes, trying to see what kind of support they can get for agreement in both the House and Senate. There is bipartisan support for the agreement, and there are a lot of, uh, I would say, a lot of caucus members in both parties who really do want to see the agreement move forward. Um, There's just, I think, some of the uh, partisan politics in Washington have prevented it from getting a vote on the floor. Uh, I did see recently that Speaker Pelosi did speak very favorably about the possibility of the agreement coming to the floor in the House for a vote. Uh, Senator McConnell in the Senate has signaled that if it comes uh, out of the House, that he would uh, take it up in the Senate. And so that was a positive sign to see Speaker Pelosi talk about it in those terms. I did just see some reporting that the head of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka, is working with some of the more progressive Democrats to try to stall the agreement's approval. I'm not really sure how much traction that'll be able to get. There is bipartisan support, like I said, meaning there's a lot of the moderate Democrats in particular who would be very supportive of the USMCA moving forward. So Speaker Pelosi's words on the possibility of it moving forward this year was very optimistic, uh, but it's going to come down to, I think, how much of the uh, impeachment drama gets uh, a lot of the headlines. So. Well, the thing that's not super clear to me is Pelosi saying there's a chance to pass it, but is it just pass it, passage in its current form? I know there was a lot, a lot of issues, like you mentioned, about the labor uh, provisions in the agreement, but 
trying to change the agreement at this point would then re- reopen negotiations. So is Pelosi really talking about essentially passing it as it's now being presented? Yes. By and large, she is because to make any real significant changes to the agreement would mean that they'd have to send it back to the administration to essentially renegotiate it. and With Canada and Mexico. Exactly. That's right. And then re-sign it from, you know, President Trump would have to re-sign it and the leaders of those other three countries, which there's there, there would be, I think, considerable backlash if that's the route they went. So I think what'll probably end up happening is that if it does move forward on the House and Senate floor, it would have to move forward as is. And there could be some concessions made in some other areas to some of the more progressive Democrats to appease their concerns with some of the things related to labor and the environment. So they, they can't really make changes to the agreement as is right now, but that doesn't mean that they can't necessarily make some other deals in some other areas to try to get their support on the agreement. So if members are really concerned about this issue, and most members are, now is the time to reach out to your congressmen and senators and encourage them to move forward on passage of the USMCA. And you can find more information about doing that and uh, on our website at WDMA.com. So what's the latest on tariffs? Can you fill us in on what's been going on with China and our efforts there? And what's been happening with the tariffs on products from other company countries? Yeah, the tariffs with China have been kind of complicated for quite some time now. There's been several rounds, as we've reported previously, there's been several rounds of, of tariffs on different products from China. We've been active on a few of those lists. Uh, you'll recall that we were successful on our first list with getting several of those products excluded from the tariff. So that was uh, a great win for our association. And now um, there's four lists have been released by the Trump administration. These are lists of products from China that either are subject to a 25% tariff or are proposed to be. Uh, So we've been working in, in particular on that third list. We've been working to try to get those products excluded and have also been working closely with several WDMA member companies on assisting them with requesting particular product exclusions. So uh, we've been very active on the Chinese tariff issue since it's been uh, kind of in the works here. What we are seeing is that there have been discussions between the United States and China on getting an agreement in place that would alleviate or possibly rescind some of those tariffs moving forward. Even though there's been, I think, a little bit of progress, there's ultimately some big differences that remain between the Trump administration and the Chinese government. And so I think it is possible that we could see some uptick in tariff activity. Right now, things have kind of cooled off a little bit in terms of both countries going back and forth with tariffs. So that's that's a positive thing because it it has prevented you know, additional uh, products that that could wind up on a list. So that's positive, but they do have some work to do if they're going to be finding some common ground and make some kind of deal to uh, rescind the tariffs. So we're continuing our activity on that, on the tariffs. We're always willing to assist WDMA member companies when they need assistance with requesting those exclusions and uh, really working on behalf of of the industry that way. So we'll be continuing that effort and, um, hopefully we're going to be seeing some traction made between the Trump administration and the Chinese officials. Um, with respect to other countries, um, there's, there's certain uh, actions that have been 
kind of in the works uh, from the Trump administration um, for tariffs on other countries. It's a little bit different than China. China is a unique situation for the United States and their trade policy. For example, recently, the World Trade Organization ruled in favor of the Trump administration imposing particular tariffs on the European Union. And so we're starting to see some tariff activity on places like the European Union and some others. Uh, so the, the president's trade strategy overall has been very aggressive in the context of any perceived unfair activity from a foreign country or something like the European Union, we're going to pursue really aggressive action to try to level the playing field is probably the way they would describe it. So we're starting to see uh, that take place a little bit more. So we're going to be really having to keep our eye on some of that activity from other countries like the EU uh, and make sure that there are no particular products that are maybe subject to a tariff or even any more general actions taken um, from a tariff uh, perspective. So uh, we'll be continuing you know, to monitor that and, and take action where necessary. So the Department of Labor recently issued a final rule on overtime pay, which was relatively impactful to businesses across the country. Can you quickly summarize what the major changes are? Sure. So overall, the Department of Labor's overtime regulations remain unchanged as they were, particularly for those that might deal with this issue in their businesses. Things like the three tests that are used to calculate overtime pay, those are still in place. What has changed here in this new rule that was issued this year from the Department of Labor are really a few key things. Number one, the raising of the standard salary level. So the current level there for uh, mandatory overtime pay, anything uh, under it is $455. That is being raised to $684 per week, which translates to $35,568 per year for a full-time worker. So now, uh, or starting on January 1st, if, a, if an employee is paid less than $35,568 per year, they are required to be paid uh, overtime. Uh, so that's the new level. That's really the biggest change here is the new uh, salary level. In addition, there's a change to the definition of highly compensated employees. So the current forced level there is $100,000 per year. That is being raised to $107,432 per year. Uh, in addition, they are allowing employers uh, to use non-discretionary bonuses and incentive payments, uh, which do include commissions. Uh, paid at least annually to satisfy up to 10% of the standard salary level. Uh, so there, that's, a, that's a change as well. Uh, in addition, they're not going to be implementing automatic increases. This was part of their proposed rule earlier in the year. So, uh, for example, in four or five years, they're not going to be automatically increasing that new salary level that I mentioned. Um, and so these changes will be effective January 1st, 2020. And uh, we were happy to see the way that DOL implemented some of these changes. Uh, WDMA was part of an industry coalition that uh, worked to uh, weigh in on this and to give our industry's perspectives to the Department of Labor during the proposed rule stage. So we think that it was a very uh, balanced approach here and uh, they really took industry concerns into the mix during the proposed rule stage. So those are a few of the changes that are coming in uh, January 2020. Uh, and if any employers or WDMA member companies have questions about that, I'd be happy to uh, address that and, and help navigate some of the particulars of the rule. 
Let's go back to Congress, everyone's favorite subject these days. And of course, the impeachment drama is playing out and is affecting legislation or non-legislation here in Washington. Um, Is Congress actually doing anything? What's the status on things like tax extenders? What are some of the provisions that would matter to WDMA? Well, overall, legislation is a little bit challenging, to say the least, uh, in this political environment. Most of the legislating that, you know, might be done in in many cases is sort of suspended with a lot of the gridlock in Washington that we've spoken about before. Uh, But there are a few, you know, little pockets here and there of things that would be impactful that are that are worth mentioning. Definitely tax extenders being one of them. Uh, These are a, a group of tax provisions like tax credits that uh, are either expired or are going to expire that have been kind of wrapped into a package in both the House and Senate that the goal would be to pass that so that those would be extended or uh, or extended either moving forward and then for some it'd be retroactive as well. There's really three uh, big provisions in the tax extenders bill that WDMA really looks at and monitors. One is is 25C, uh, which is the credit for energy efficient uh, windows and doors, uh, the 45L credit, uh, which is a credit for builders uh, of energy efficient homes, and then the 179D credit, uh, which is the ability for a, a property owner to deduct um, the cost of uh, renovation, energy efficient renovations. Commercial properties. Yes. And so those are really the big ones that are in the extenders bill that we really focus on. There's everything in there from windows to uh, electric vehicles and variety of other things. So those are our main priorities that, that we look at and focus on. And I think in terms of the prospects for tax extenders moving forward, there's definitely bipartisan support for tax extenders, which is a very good thing. Bipartisan support is important. I think really what it comes down to is whether or not uh, impeachment will overshadow some of these types of uh, priorities that really both parties do have. And so I know in the Senate, Senator Grassley, who's the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, has been working for several months to try to get something passed. Um, But the complicated part there is that this type of issue, uh, tax-related issues, have to originate in the House. It's it's a bill related to revenue, so um, this bill would need to originate in the House for it to pass. So the House Ways and Means Committee would have to be the first ones to really take action. They've had some hearings and have released their own bill, so that's a positive sign. So uh, we're going to be continuing to work with some of our industry partners on making sure that this remains a priority for uh, those in the House and Senate and it is possible that we could see an end of year package with uh, tax extenders, such as the ones that we've been talking about, but it really is going to come down to the last few days of December and whether or not they want to push something through before they all head home for the holidays. So um, that's going to be something we'll have to, uh, we'll have to monitor as we go into uh, December. And what about energy legislation? Congressman Schrader introduced the WDMA backed uh, code legislation. Is there any traction for a comprehensive energy bill? Well, that's another, that's another interesting one where there is bipartisan support and it's now a matter of trying to generate some momentum for the bill. Uh, we were happy to see that Congressman Schrader reintroduced our uh, code legislation. Uh, that, was a, that was definitely a victory. We're currently working with Senator Blackburn in the Senate trying to get a companion bill introduced there. So in addition, we've been talking with uh, Senator Rob Portman's office, Senator Janine Shaheen's office. They're really the, the two in the Senate who are 
the drivers of real comprehensive energy legislation. Many WDMA members would remember that we've done a lot of work over the years when these pieces of legislation have gone to uh, the House floor, Senate floor. Uh, we've been very active on those in the past. Um, right now, the code language that's in the Portman Shaheen bill is a bit different than what we'd like to see. So we're currently working on trying to educate Senator Portman's office in particular about the merits of, of our legislation. So it's really going to come down to um, whether or not the committee chairs in both chambers are going to uh, move a bill forward. If they do, it definitely puts a little bit more pressure on uh, House and Senate leadership to, to do something. But I think it would be looking into next year for something energy related to move forward. It seems like the calendar days are kind of running out at this point. And so um, this is probably something that'll be pushed to, uh, to 2020. Um, but we're going to be continuing to work on that. We work closely with uh, the National Association of Home Builders as uh, one of our industry partners. And so we'll be continuing to do that uh, as we move into the new year. So can we expect anything else in terms of congressional business before the end of the year? Not a lot of time left. No, there's, there's definitely not. Other than what we've talked about, the real big outstanding issue will be appropriations and well, keeping the government open. Exactly. So uh, as of today, uh, the 21st of, of November, uh, Congress is planning to vote for a uh, funding bill. Uh, it would keep the lights on only until December 20th, though. And so they'll have to uh, it, assuming this one moves forward, it will keep the government funded for a month. And then um, December 20th or before, they'll have to pass uh, another uh, government spending bill to avoid a shutdown. So we haven't heard of any uh, interest from President Trump to uh, not sign an appropriations bill. Uh, so things are looking, uh, things are looking good there. Um, I, I expect that Congress will um, come together and, and pass these bills. And it, it could just be a series of just short-term bills that just keep popping up either month to month or every few months. So we're going to have to keep our eye on that to make sure that, you know, there's no disruptions um, there. Uh, Congress did pass a few appropriations bills earlier this year in what's kind of known as a minibus. Um, so there's a lot of the uh, outstanding appropriations bills that have to get passed here. So we're going to be watching the appropriations process we do every year, in particular, looking at some of the key agencies like EPA or the Department of Energy. Uh, so we're going to be um, continuing to look at that. So appropriations and keeping the lights on in the government is really the, the big outstanding thing other than what we've talked about. Great. Thanks for the summary, Kevin. Really appreciate it. A lot still to happen towards the end of this year and a lot going to be happening in 2020. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. Builders, architects, and remodelers now have a new trusted resource when designing, specifying, and selecting high-performance windows, doors, and skylights. WDMA recently launched a new initiative called Open Up to Performance to offer a wide variety of educational and informative content, including a new website, openuptoperformance.com, which contains blog posts, videos, podcasts, and webinars created and curated by industry experts. It is also supported by a robust social media campaign. The website is intended to help residential builders and remodelers, as well as residential and commercial architects and specifiers, 
make informed decisions about their customers' windows, doors, and skylights. Additionally, professionals will be able to learn about the WDMA Hallmark Certification Program, an accredited program that rigorously inspects and tests products to ensure that they are code compliant, high performing, and high quality. Architects and specifiers will also be able to access information on selecting and specifying architectural doors that meet ANSI and WDMA architectural door standards. To learn more about the initiative, visit openuptoperformance.com. As many in the window and door industry are aware, Amesbury Truth is a product of a 2013 merger between two leading industry hardware manufacturers, Amesbury and Truth Hardware. With its origins tracing back to a blacksmith shop in Ellendale, Minnesota in 1914, the combined Amesbury Truth has become an industry-leading organization offering an extensive product line and considerable global resources for its customers. Amesbury Truth is now positioned to provide its window and door customers even greater opportunity to take advantage of engineered solutions. With me today to discuss some of the trends in the hardware industry and her perspective on the window and door industry is Michelle Nissen, Vice President of Product Management for Amesbury Truth. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Michelle, we usually like to start off uh, our Q&A here with a little bit of information about the company. So tell us about Amesbury Truth. Amesbury Truth is the largest North America supplier of window and door hardware components, extrusions, and sealing systems. We have the broadest breadth of, of products and employ over 2,000 people in North America. In addition, we have dedicated product and engineering team offering the best-in-class engineering resources to our customers. In addition to Amesbury Truth residential products, Amesbury Truth also has a portfolio of commercial products through the Bilco brand, North America's leading manufacturer of smoke vents, roof access hatches, and sidewalk doors. So what is your division between residential and commercial there, roughly? From a revenue standpoint? The Any way you want to do it. Roughly about 80% is residential. Great. Uh, well, how about your background? How, how did you become involved with the company? Great question. So my background, I have over 20 years of experience in manufacturing and predominantly in product management, which is really where my passion lies. With Amesbury Truth growing through acquisition, as you referenced uh, at the start, uh, there was an opportunity to drive more innovation and speed to market by putting more emphasis on product management here at Amesbury Truth. And as such, Amesbury Truth's leadership back about a year ago uh, created my role. And the, the premise behind it was to, uh, as I mentioned before, is to really um, work on putting that framework in place for product management where we're looking at what's going on in the market to really help drive our, our product roadmaps and um, the innovation that we're bringing to market and so you may ask, well, why Amesbury Truth? Um, this is clearly, for me, it was a good fit because in my past, I've always worked for companies that have a, a very strong brand, which Amesbury Truth does. And the, it's, a, it's a great company with uh, a lot of great people 
So the average tenure on my team is over uh, 20 years. So there's a lot of folks that have been in the industry and are very passionate about, about what we do um, to continue to innovate and drive new solutions in the market. And lastly, for me, in a product management role, it's always a plus uh, when you when you like the products. And that's one thing for me when this opportunity surfaced that um, it was a chance to be, be in a B2B business, um, but really get almost a lot more closer to the consumer. And I really enjoy being able to go into any house uh, across North America and be able to see and interact with the products that we provide. Was your position, was it new when you came to the company product management or is that a compilation of other traditional, you know, sales marketing, I mean, roles or um, it's, it's not a title that I, I see a ton of time. Yeah, great, great question, Mike. So traditionally, in, in many of the companies that I've worked at before, traditionally product management is made up of what I would call product managers that fall within a, a marketing organization and an engineering team that falls typically within uh, R&D. At Amesbury Truth, that was the structure that was in place. And there was a decision made um, to help draw more, like I mentioned before, bring more speed to market and collaboration across those groups to bring them together under one uh, leader on the executive team. And so they created this role of vice president of product management. Interesting. So what kind of hardware trends or innovations are you seeing that are most exciting to you in your role? So the trends that uh, that I'm seeing and my my team is seeing is again an emphasis always on on safety and fall prevention. Uh, in addition, there's the energy savings trends that are taking place, as well as the desire for larger openings um, from a consumer standpoint. And then two trends specifically um, that are that are coming that we're seeing a lot of is around the aesthetics. So as many are aware, you know, some of the hardware that's out there today on windows and doors has been the same for, for several years. And now there's a, a push to, to try to, to differentiate or um, to, to work on more contemporary um, styles. And so that's something that, that we see a lot of. Uh, and then lastly, home automation. So where we, you know, we see home automation today and in, in our, throughout our homes, and the question is, wh when will that come to the door hardware and the window hardware? Um, and how fast will that adoption take place? And when is it coming? Great question. Um, for us, that's something that we're still trying to answer as well. We have a lot of our uh, customers that are showing interest. But really, to me, it, the question that still surfaces in my mind is when are consumers going to be willing to invest in the additional expense associated with bringing uh, smart technology to windows and doors? Yeah, I tend to think there's a, a big breakthrough coming um, with respect to home automation with windows and doors in general. I, I don't think it's too far off. Um, you know, I've seen lots of little interesting things from window and door manufacturers, but I, but I think the trend is certainly there. And I, and I think 
obviously hardware is going to be a big component of that. Absolutely. So there's been quite a bit of M&A and activity in the window and door industry over the last several years, to, to say the least. How does that impact Amesbury Truth, which supplies products to so many of the manufacturers in the industry? How do you keep up with that? Yeah, we have definitely uh, been Im- impacted by that. And uh, how that impacts us uh, really is contingent upon what uh, happens between the companies and how much they they rationalize or um, consolidate, if you will. Um, so when when that results in fewer factories for uh, a company, then clearly that helps simplify some of our operations to that customer. Uh, alternatively, though, if the plants uh, continue to operate as they had prior to the acquisition, then the impact on us is is less. However, it does put some pressure on us from um, with our OEMs having more pricing power as far as uh, trying to, to negotiate some yeah. cost out for additional volume. And so that so then that's something that we um, as a supplier um, work on identifying ways that we can help uh, drive that cost out. I mean, it'll be interesting to see over the coming couple of years with, you know, projections of slower growth, how that impacts the overall M&A activity in the industry and whether we're going to continue to see the same pace we've been seeing over the last several years. So it's definitely something on a lot of people's radar. Let's talk about one of the top concerns that we routinely see in WDMA surveys of members, which is the availability of skilled labor. And I know that's a broad manufacturing concern, not really, obviously not limited to our industry, but is it a challenge for you guys? And are, are you taking aggressive steps to deal with it? Absolutely. So attracting and retaining skilled labor, as you mentioned, is a challenge for, for many manufacturing organizations, and, and we're no different. So the, the, the skilled workforce uh, increasing average age and retirement eligibility are also challenges that we're faced with in the near future. Um, we are committed to competing to retain great people. And in fact, many of uh, our employees have been with us for more than 20 years, as I mentioned before. And so we, we are putting an emphasis on uh, attracting new talent uh, to prepare for the future. And how we do that, I mean, we're focused on competitive compensation and then looking at the a total reward strategy, if you think about benefits, et cetera, and also the environment. So we put an emphasis on, on creating a safe, clean, and positive environment where people want to work and also feel that they're able to progress their careers. And so that's, that's where we're uh, putting an emphasis both in our hourly as well as our um, salary employees. Great. And as a longtime member of WDMA, although I know you're newer to the company and to WDMA, what do you feel the benefits are that Amesbury Truth gets out of being a WDMA member? Yeah, we have really um, enjoyed and gotten a lot out of uh, WDMA. And um, the two, I would say, biggest values that we've seen is the opportunity to network and um, also be in a community with our customers. And it really helps us gain a better understanding of the bigger picture, impacting our customers. As a supplier member, it is a way for us to give back 
to our strategic customers with some of the engagement that we have at the executive level uh, and then enables us to, to offer them more support. As I mentioned just earlier, it does help us uh, better be a better educated supplier um, and provides us with that industry knowledge uh, that helps us as I mentioned, bring new solutions to our customers so that we're ensuring that we're prioritizing uh, where we're focusing our efforts on and then bringing the right technology to them or innovation to them. That's great. And we certainly appreciate Amesbury Truce's longstanding support of the association. Thank you for the opportunity. So one last question. What is something about Michelle Nissen that would surprise people? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, for me, no pressure, no pressure. No pressure, I know. Uh, for me, I have been water skiing since I was in a diaper as a young child. And Where'd you grow I, up? I grew up in Michigan and I took water skiing uh, with me to college. So I skied at the University of Michigan for their club sport and water skiing. And did the ski jump and our team made it to nationals uh, for two years while I was there. And do you still do it? I still water ski, but I have taken that passion and instilled it on my daughter. So I spend my time uh, uh, teaching my daughter how to ski uh, and I do not jump anymore. So <laughs> my knees can't handle it. <laughs> and I'm impressed the University of Michigan has a program or club was it an actual accredited it was a club. sport yeah, it was a club sport but oh, we wow. did compete with the southern schools that it is um a real you know it, it's not a club sport where they actually give scholarships etc so that's where the in the south they had much better skiers than in the north <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll leave it at that well thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today michelle we really appreciate it thank you for having me mike and that does it for another episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close. Mm-hmm.